Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Keith Collins as he teaches from the Word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much. Wow. An awesome morning already. And um, I just want to say that I'm so honored to be here. I recognize maybe at least 65% of the faces here. Maybe a few more, but um, if you don't... Um, know us if, if we've never met. My name is Keith Collins, as Chuck said, and I um, was actually raised here in Wakulla County. And really, my ministry roots started right here in this sandy soil of Wakulla County. And I'm actually, I've known Brother Henry for, for many years. He's actually one of the first ministers that trusted me with his pulpit back down in Stop Choppy when I was, I think, 16 years old, 17 years old, the first time. And um, we've been good friends for many years, and I actually served on staff here for a period of time, and just have a real love for, for River of Life and the purposes of God that are so evident in this place. So, so we are excited to be here, so blessed to have some of our students from the Fire School of Ministry in the Charlotte area with me here this weekend, and you know, I've told the folks the last couple of nights that for over 20 years I've been blessed to take teams really around the world and, um, and to see how the Lord develops these men and women of God is, is really my greatest joy. You know, when I was in my 20s and even probably some of my 30s or most of my 30s, I had kind of an itch to preach. And I still enjoy preaching. It's part of who I am. It's part of what God made me to be. But I have a greater itch to see men and women of God step out in their destinies and in their callings. And like Paul said, there's really no greater joy than to see spiritual sons and daughters fulfilling the destiny of God upon their lives. So I, I love these, these students and just bless that they're here. And Tammy, Tammy and I have worked together for several years now. We've done stuff throughout the States and in Europe and different places, but they're just a blessing. So we are honored. Listen, thank you so much for your hospitality this weekend. Um, again, those that served us, those that opened your homes, your vehicle. I mean, you, you guys have been an incredible blessing. Um, had a great day at um, Brian Blackwell's and his wife's at the river yesterday, a fellowship. And so just thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you so much. Amen. Well, I am um, continuing to be stirred with the purposes of God um, for this weekend. We've had an incredible last two nights, and I was so blessed to see so many people touched by the power of God and the love of God over these last two gatherings that we've had. And I believe the Lord wants to do something deep in all of our hearts this morning. So let me say that you're in the right place, and I believe the Lord wants to encourage you and challenge you to go deeper in Him this morning. So I want you to open your hearts to the word of the Lord this morning. Last night, I I ministered on a subject that um, I called the spell of spiritual sleep. And my my context, if you were not here, was basically about that, you know, there are people that are asleep spiritually, and some of them don't even recognize it or realize it. 
until the Lord breaks into their lives and into their hearts. And then God brings them to this awareness or this cognizance that, that He is real and, and they are brought to life, so to speak. And on an individual level, that's such a glorious thing. And God always, you know, touches an individual before He'll touch a city or a church or a nation. We see this pattern throughout the history of, of the church, really even the history of the people of God, Israel. We, we see this this pattern where, where the Lord awakens a heart, maybe the heart of a prophet or the heart of a king or the heart of a child, as we talked about um, a man last night named Evan Roberts, who the Lord began to stir him as a boy. And this morning, I felt like I needed to bring part two. If you weren't here last night, you'll still receive, I believe, the fullness of what God wants you to hear. But, but this morning, I want to talk to you about the awakening of a generation. The awakening of a generation. And, you know, there are, there are themes that ministers kind of carry. And I know Brother Henry and Chuck and different ones that have preached for years would probably agree with this, I'm sure. Um, I am preaching in a lot of different settings all the time. Sometimes I'm teaching, and I love teaching theology. I love hermeneutics. I mean, I, I really enjoy that type of stuff. But, but I will say that there are certain themes that that I carry. It's almost like God put them down inside of me, even from my very early days of serving God. And one of those things is really awakening, spiritual awakening. So whenever I saw the, the, the title of our, our gatherings this weekend, especially Friday and Saturday night, it really registered with my heart and with my spirit because this is something that I carry Constantly, I mean, I am always in my prayer time, or many times in my prayer, I am crying out to God, Lord, awaken your people. Awaken America. Awaken Germany. Awaken the Netherlands. Anywhere I'm at preaching and, and teaching, I am constantly, God, awaken Sierra Leone, Africa, Lord. Just awaken the hearts of these people. So I, I carry this. I mean, some people maybe call this like a revivalist anointing, whatever you want to call it. I hear different things oftentimes, and I'll hear people even introduce me at times as a revivalist or something. I don't personally call myself that. But I, but I do carry such a deep hunger to see Jesus glorified in a generation. I, I have a great evangelistic burden. I mean, I felt like last night my role was really more of an evangelist, and oftentimes when I'm in Africa, or I'm in the Philippines, or I'm in India, and I'm preaching either to Hindus, or, or Muslims, or, or, you know, or secularists in, in West Germany, or, West, or West, um, Western Europe, I will have that evangelist thing on me, but, but oftentimes I will feel this, this prophetic burden to see Jesus glorified not just in one individual life, even though that's glorious and that's a part of my calling, I believe, but, but I have a great hunger to see an entire county bow their knees to Jesus and say, You are Lord. You see, I don't believe you, you sit here in this building by accident or by mistake this morning. This is not just a, another gathering, another church service, another facility where, where people come together to hear a preacher and to sing three songs and take up an offering. And, and we love doing all of that and, and God's glorified in all of that. But I, I see a, a higher arching purpose 
for our gathering this morning. I believe that the Lord is, is up to something in every generation and, and He begins to stir the hearts of people. And you can study the history of the church. And I promise you, history will bear this out. There are unusual interruptions into culture and into society where the hand of God like reaches in and He begins to do what a polished professional preacher can never do. He begins to, to stir and He begins to awaken the hearts of people and everyone or many people stand back and even though they might not accept it, matter of fact, they might totally refuse it, but they have to acknowledge that God is doing something in their generation. We see this throughout history. And this morning, I want to look at a familiar story to many of us here, but I want us to relook at this story this morning regarding the life of a man by the name of, of Samuel. Samuel was a unique individual. He was really the, the last judge of Israel. You know, there was a period of judges, and I think we had, what, 12 judges in the book of Judges. Samuel was really the, the last of the era of the judges. And he was the man that, that God would use to initiate the monarchy in, in Israel, or the kingdom of God. Saul would be the first king. And then, of course, after God rejected Saul, Samuel brought the word to him that he was rejected because of his rebellion against God. And then Samuel's the one that anointed David, a man after God's own heart, to, to lead the people of Israel as their king. But, but Samuel comes in a very unique time in the nation of Israel. So he is this final judge of that era. And he becomes not really the first prophet. We would, most theologians would say that Moses was clearly the first prophet. And I would concur with that completely, but he was the, the first in this line of, of prophets that would literally stand in the face of kings and would call out idolatry and, and syncretism or mixture of, of worship of Yahweh and worship of, of pagan gods, and he would address the, the sin in the nation. Prior to him being there, there was not really a voice that would deal with the message of repentance. And the condition of the heart since Moses. He was the last one that really dealt with that. But then there was this somewhat of a quietness with regard to the voice of God. So I want you to see the stage of the entrance of this prophetic interruption. Whose name is Samuel. Whose name literally means heard of God. Some theologians even says that his name could even mean the name of God. In other words, he was in his own person a representative of the very throne of Yahweh God Himself. A man that brought awakening and restoration to his hour of history. So, let's look at 1 Samuel, the third chapter this morning. 1 Samuel, the third chapter. I won't read this entire chapter, but I do want to point out some key verses and then give you a little bit of this story that I believe is so important for us to hear this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and let's read verses 1 through 3 to begin with. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli was the high priest of that time. 
And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. If I was teaching a theology class on how to study God's word, or hermeneutics class we call it, I would tell you this, and I would tell my students this, be very attentive to the way that God introduces a figure or a theme in the Word of God because it's going to show you oftentimes the purpose of God on that individual's life even in that season of history. So look at this introduction. The Word of the Lord was rare in that day. There was no frequent vision. One translation says there was no open vision. In other words, God was not speaking into that generation. There was a a dullness and a dimness. There was people asleep, so to speak. Keith Green wrote a song years ago, Asleep in the Light. There were people that were doing the work of the ministry, but they were sound asleep. And this was the condition of Eli. So Samuel comes into this time period. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Go down to verse 19, if you would. Verses 19 through 21. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And look at that first part of chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now I want you to see that this is a very important time in the history of Israel. Samuel comes on the scene. Uh, Let me back up a little bit. How did Samuel come forth? Samuel's mother was named Hannah. And Hannah was deeply burdened for the condition of her nation. She was also a woman that was barren. She could not bear children. But she cries out to God, Lord, give me a child and I will give this child back to you for your service. God hears her prayer, and and there's even a time when when she's at at the tent, and she is crying, and she is weeping before the Lord, and Eli, the priest, sees her. And in his backslidden, cold, indifferent state of religion, he, he thinks that she's actually drunk from drinking alcohol. He doesn't recognize that she is under a burden from God's own heart to bring forth an awakening in her generation. So I want to show you a pattern here, my friend. Every great awakening comes, if you study the history of it, it comes through a people that give themselves to deep prayer and intercession for God to be glorified in their generation. Hannah's life, I believe, is a a picture of the condition of the church when they realize that we must have God in our generation. So Hannah begins to travail. And as God does throughout the Word of God and throughout history, God brings forth His promise out of a barren place, a womb that is dead. 
You might ask, why would God do such a thing? He's done it several times. I could go through story after story. I don't have time. But I believe the primary reason is because, listen, when God begins to move in any setting or in any generation, He will not share His glory with another man or another woman. In other words, this thing that, that comes forth, this, this man-child that, that comes forth from the womb of Hannah is something that is a miracle. Why? Because God brought life out of a dead, dormant place. Because she was faithful to cry out to God to awaken His purposes in the nation again. Samuel is born. And the Bible said that after he was weaned, many scholars believe probably around the, four year, around the age of four years old, Samuel was literally taken to the priest Eli by his mother Hannah. And he was given to Eli. And as a little boy, he begins to serve the Lord in the ceremonial type dynamics, the, the sacrifice, the, the altar. I mean, he's, he's right in the midst of everything that represents the nature of God and the purposes of God. And his spiritual father is Eli. He begins to tutor him and to train him. And he is serving the Lord in this setting. As a, a little older boy, we don't know exactly the age. Some people, again, think around 13 or 14. One night, he's asleep right beside the altar. Right beside what represents the very presence of God Himself, the very Ark of the Covenant. And he hears his name called Samuel, Samuel. He's awakened out of sleep. And in his natural mind, he, he believes that, that Eli is calling out to him. So he runs into where Eli is sleeping. And he's like, sir, did you call me? Many of us know this story, but, but listen to me. Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Samuel goes back into where he sleeps by the altar and he falls asleep again. A second time, Samuel, Samuel. He's a jarred out of sleep again. God's awakening a generation. He, he runs into Eli, did you call me? Eli's like, no, I didn't call you, go back and lie. The third time, it happens again. And again, he, he goes in. After three times, Eli, even in his spiritual dimness, recognizes that, that God is speaking to this young man, this young boy. And when he comes in that next time, here's what he tells him. He says, go back and lie down. And when you hear your name called again, say, speak, Lord. Share with me what you're... I'm paraphrasing, but share with me what's upon your heart. He goes in and lies down again. And again, the Lord calls him. And as a young man, he receives his first prophetic assignment upon his life which was to stand in the presence of his spiritual father and tell him that the ministry, the priesthood, is being stripped from you and no one in your family will ever serve in this position again. Imagine, I've often thought of this, imagine how this young man preparing for ministry must have felt when he had to go and address his spiritual father. Now why would God call something so drastic to take place? You see, Eli had two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. And these two sons of his, who should have rightly been in line for the priesthood, 
had perverted the sacrificial system of the Lord and they were partaking of the very meat of animals for themselves that was to be offered to God. Beyond that, they were having sexual relations with women at the very place of worship, perverting the purposes of God. And Eli would not address his own children. He allowed them to continue on in this condition of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And you have to understand what this had done and was doing to the nation of Israel. It caused a spiritual fog to go across the entire nation. A people with a heritage of miracle signs and wonders. A people with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A people that God had been faithful to had become distant from who God really was. But I want, to, I want you to see something in this story this morning. This is important. God is faithful to His own glory in every generation. You know what revival is to me? I believe revival is a prophetic testimony that Jesus will be glorified in every single generation. It might not be perfect. Men might get involved in it and mess some things up. But in the meantime, when God really begins to move, I believe it's a statement that Jesus must be glorified in the midst of His church. Now, I want to tell you something this morning. And I'm not saying this to hoop you up or to hype you up, because that's really not who I am. I am, for the first time in many years, and I, I live revived. You understand, I, I believe we can live in personal revival. I don't have to wait for sleepy Christians to wake up for me to be awake. Right? In other words, I don't have to wait for half the church to show up for a prayer meeting for me to show up to the prayer meeting. I live this way, man. I, I am radically in love with Jesus, and he, He's everything to me. I'm not perfect, nobody is, but, but I mean, m- my heart is ablaze for the things of the Lord, so I don't have to wait for everyone else to come along. But I do want to say something to you. I believe that in the midst of one of the most secular, humanistic, postmodern eras that we have ever known, In an hour where we are not, as John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, said this, what one generation tolerates, the next one will embrace, and I say the next one will promote. Listen, we live in one of the most ungodly, anti-Bible eras of history that we've ever lived in. If you don't believe that, just turn on the television. I mean, some of the most anti-Christ, anti-biblical values, and it's, it's promoted, and anyone that, that would dare to stand and say that is not right because the Bible says it's not, now you are the hater. And you're the one that doesn't love people. Why? Because you still believe in truth. But I want to show you something. It is the pattern of God in the darkest hours of history to awaken a people that will stand toe-to-toe with evil and call it evil. And if they lose their lives in the process, they're willing to do it. They've done it throughout history. It is the nature of God to begin to invade the heart of men and women and young people. Listen, I was Tammy and I and some groups, a group of students were doing ministry about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in in East Germany. Now, West Germany has some 
some revival history a little bit. And of course, a lot of the great scholars of the church come out of Germany. But, but East Germany, that was under Soviet or communistic rule for so long, is traditionally a very dead, dormant place of atheism and secularism. I was shocked, actually pleasantly shocked, at the hunger when I was preaching that I felt from those young Germans and Polish, and we even had some folks there from Afghanistan and different places. I mean, the hunger that they had for God as they were crying out for God to send revival to East Germany. Listen, I, I preach, as you know, I preach all over the world. I mean, I've been in 36 nations. Whether it be Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Africa, India, Southeast Asia, all over the world. And I'm telling you something, something is beginning to stir in the heart of the church. I believe that, that God is awakening a generation. That there is, in the, and again, in the midst of the greatest display of perversion and darkness that our nation has ever seen, even in the midst of America, even among the millennials, and I think they call this next generation, Generation Z. You know, one thing I, I say about the millennial generation and Generation Z, many of them have a, a view of God that's different than what I would have had as a kid. I was raised in a time of history where there was an acceptance of Christianity by most. Not that everybody really loved Jesus, but I mean, people were basically good. I mean, there's always been evil and crazy stuff, but, but you understand what I'm saying. The culture was, was tolerant, much more tolerant of biblical values and biblical standards. We've come to a day, my friend, and this is why I'm talking to you about awakening, because listen to me, good church is not going to change this generation. No, something has to be awakened in the heart of the people of God. Samuels must come forth in this hour. Listen to me. We, we live in this, this postmodern era. What does that mean? That means there's really no absolutes. What might be right for you is not right for me and vice versa. In other words, there's no black and white. There, there's no right and wrong. There's no up and down. Everything that, that used to mean something... So a lot, and there's still some people that believe this, but I'm telling you, go to the universities in the United States of America. And I promise you, you will find an aggression towards anything that represents righteousness, holiness, the power of God, the purposes of God. I'm not saying everyone there, but I'm telling you, there is an aggressive assault against anything that is biblical and righteous. And this is a prime time for God to move in our nation. It's happened throughout history. Samuel comes in such an hour. Perversion, darkness, idolatry, lukewarmness, dead religion, Eli going through the motions. No passion for the purposes of God. No hunger to see the lost saved. No willingness to lay our lives down for the gospel and say, Jesus, use me for your eternal glory. What am I talking about? Just normal New Testament Christianity. Samuel comes in this, this, this dark season of history. And he, he becomes a very, he becomes the very representative of God himself. His life is basically 
an interruption. So much so that when he would come to a village or a city or a region, they would send people out to Samuel and they would say, are you coming to bring peace or are you coming to bring a word of judgment from God? Why? Because he brought to bear the kingdom of God on that generation. Listen, what is the heart of God? The heart of God is not to bring utter judgment to people. The heart of God is to restore communion with His creation. So therefore, He awakens the hearts of men and women and young people in every generation. It's like the Jewish scholar Abraham Joshua Heschel says, the prophet in the Old Testament hears an octave above what others hear. He, he sees in a realm above what others see. In other words, these people that are awakened to the eternal purposes of God, like a Samuel, like a William and Catherine Booth that started the Salvation Army, that, that would go to the most horrific places in England and preach the gospel. There were times, study the history of the Salvation Army. I mean, they still do a lot of good work, but it's not what it used to be. Whenever this thing was started called the Salvation Army, William Booth, General Booth, and Catherine Booth, they would take their, their workers and they would go into the worst places of, of England and they would preach the gospel. They, their, their mission was reach the worst of the worst. There were times when they would literally read the history, would drop human urine and feces on top of them while they were preaching the gospel under windows. and They would throw rotten food at them. But there was something that burned in the heart of this man and this woman. Why? They were awakened to the reality that Jesus must be seen in their nation. You see, as we sit here this morning, my friend, I'm convinced with all of my heart that we stand at the threshold of a great move of God. I'm not telling you next week or next month, but I'm telling you that, that the Lord is stirring hearts in this hour, in this generation. I am coming in contact with some people that used to burn for Jesus 30, 40 years ago, and now they're in their 70s and 80s, and once again, they are crying out, Jesus, be glorified in my generation. You see, Samuel comes into this season of history. He comes into this time where his presence is a direct assault against everything that is against the purposes of God. I have stood in places in my life. I'll never forget one night in a place called Bow City, Sierra Leone. Second largest city in, in the nation of Sierra Leone in West Africa. And I remember that night, I, I felt intense spiritual darkness on that field that night. And as I stood to preach to about eight to 10,000 Muslims is what they said the crowd was. You can't really tell because the people pack in the places where there's lights and then beyond the lights, you, you can't see anything. But I, I'll never forget the, the intense darkness that I felt. The, the spiritual pressure that, that I felt even upon my body. But I knew that, that, that God had set me in that field that night in Bow City, Sierra Leone, to preach to thousands of Muslims. And I want you to hear me, my friend. I'll never forget as I was preaching when I felt the presence of the Lord literally move on. This might sound strange to some of you, but I literally felt the Lord like He moved onto the field and the very atmosphere completely changed. 
And that night I preach the simple message of the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that night, over 2,000 Muslims made their way to the altar. And listen, they didn't just come to say a prayer. Many of them were, were weeping because they never knew a love like the love our God has. What am I saying? When God comes to awaken a nation, to awaken His church, to awaken His people, He restores that divine communion and love. That's His purpose. That's His heart. When I look at the judgment that was poured out upon Israel throughout their history, as they would go into idolatry and raise up demon gods, God would stir the heart of Jeremiah or Samuel or even a a godly king. There was a few. Not many, but a few. The message of judgment would come. And as the judgment would come upon His people, what was the purpose? Not to damn them to hell. The purpose was to restore the joy of the Lord. There is a joy that even comes when God brings judgment even to a nation. Why? Because it awakens their heart to their need for God in their generation. You see, my friend, we find ourselves in a very interesting time. I've never seen a nation more divided as America is right now. It's the truth. I mean, families won't even talk to each other because of the political climate in our nation right now. We need an awakening. Churches have come to places where they've lost their passion. They've lost their power. They've lost their prayer life. And as a result, like Eli, they've lost their prophetic voice. To speak into the generation that they live in. But I want to show you something about God. I'm going to close in a minute. I want to show you something about God. God is faithful to His covenantal nature. What do I mean by that? I mean God will have a people, my friend. Because He... Listen, there's a story that I've always loved. When God first strikes his covenant with Abram, even before he's Abraham. He, he makes a covenant. You know what a covenant is? They would take an animal and cut it in half and lay the pieces one side to the other, and two parties would walk through the blood. That was called striking a covenant in the ancient world of the Old Testament. When God struck a covenant with Abram, I want you to see the way this covenant came about. The Bible said that He literally put Abram in a deep sleep. And then the Lord appeared as a smoking furnace or oven. And the Lord walked through between the two pieces. Now the party... The covenant was between Abram and God. But I believe that God was saying He will be faithful to His nature even when men and women are not faithful. That He will stir... The heart of an individual. Listen, how does revival, how does awakening start? It it usually starts with a small number of people. It starts with one or two. I was blessed to to sit with two people in their mid-90s about three years ago when I was preaching in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland. And as I went out to, I took a ferry boat because I wanted to go out to Barvis to the island of Lewis, where the Hebrides revival took place. 
1949 to 1952. And God primarily used a man by the name of Duncan Campbell, and great revival came to that barren, freezing, rugged island called Lewis. But I didn't know the blessing and the treat that the Lord was about to give me. I, I sat down with, with two older people in their mid-90s who were in the revival of 1949. And they began to tell me of the way that this revival was birthed, how there were two old ladies, and some of you know this history, by the name of Smith, and, and they began to, elderly ladies, one, one bent over with arthritis, one blind, but these sisters began to cry out to God for an awakening in their island, in their church. And the Lord heard their prayers, and interestingly enough, these, these two old ladies are actually the great aunts of President Donald Trump, literally as far as family-wise. And, and Donald Trump's mother is from this island, interestingly enough, so we need to pray for our president. But, but listen to me, these two old ladies were, were key vessels that, that, that God used in the 1940s to usher in a great move of God where there was this residue of God that blanketed that entire island. And you see, my friend, as I listened to these two old people talk, and I heard their hunger, and I, I saw their tears as they reminisced about the glory of God and how the weight of God's glory would come in. And night after night, people in the altars giving their hearts to Jesus. It, it awakened such a hunger in me. Listen, I am hungry to see Jesus glorified in Wakulla County this morning, friend. I am hungry for this divine, prophetic intervention to take place, even in this dome here this morning, to where somebody's heart here will be awakened to the purposes of God in this generation. That we come to that place to where we realize, as I said last night, life is very brief. It's here, and then poof, it's just gone. Many of the people that I knew as a child are gone now. Pretty soon I'm going to be gone. Whether by way of natural causes or however the Lord allows me to go out. But it's going to be over. And I promise you something. The only thing that matters to me is, Lord, what am I doing at this stage in my life to bring glory to your name? Listen, I... You, if whether I'm a revivalist or not, I don't know, but I'm telling you something. I must see Jesus glorified in my generation. It's, it's not just a, a passing thought. It's not just nostalgia. It's not just what I do because I'm called to be a preacher. No, I want a fresh revelation of Jesus glorified and lifted up in His church in this generation. I don't want to be for sale. I don't want to sell out to big ministry or popularity or big honorariums or all the foolishness that oftentimes thwarts men and women of God from the true purposes of God. I'd rather preach to 20 that were hungry for God than 20,000 that just want their ears to be tickled or itched. I'm not interested in being popular and having a, a bigger, you know... Um, platform, that, that doesn't matter. I, I, I grew out of that by the grace of God. And often, believe it or not, maybe you believe it this morning, I don't always get invited back where I'm invited to the first time. <laughs> it's true. Even though people love me, they love me from a distance. I've always found it fascinating that some of the people that are heroes of the faith now, they were 
shunned when they were on the... You realize that the ministry of John Wesley was so shunned for a season that the reason that John Wesley preached outside was because the institutional churches didn't want him inside because of the message that he carried and the conviction of God that was upon his life. I'm not here to be obnoxious. That's not my heart. That's not my passion. But I'm here with a heart that's awakened. Listen, I'm grieved with our nation. I'm grieved with a compromised church. I'm grieved with the prayerlessness. I'm grieved with the idolatry of the heart. I am, and it's not just me, but I, I believe I feel that He's a loving Father and I preach that message. I believe that. Everything's predicated upon intimacy with God, but you cannot be intimate with God and share your heart with other gods or lesser lovers. I am burdened to see the church become normal to where we burn with His eternal purposes. As I shared with the young people last night, I want to see them bold in the face of darkness to where they wake up to the hour that we live in. The night is far spent, my friend. We've slept. Some of us, we're kind of in and out of sleep. Man, we're on fire and then we're not. And, I'm not, and again, I understand we have seasons of life. But I want to see the church bring forth the glory of Jesus in this generation. I want to see Samuels. I'm actually in the very fine... Matter of fact, I was on the phone with my editor the first night I got here for about two and a half hours. I'm finishing a book right now on a Samuel generation that will be published in about seven weeks now. But listen, my, my purpose is not just to write a book. But my purpose... Is that we would see what God is doing in this generation. That we don't miss anything that God has for us. That we step in to this place of awakening. And we become vessels in the hand of God. I want you to stand with me this morning. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.